Hello, everybody. Welcome to Orange Pill Uncensored, the podcast that aims to educate you about the truth of money and Bitcoin. I am your co-host, Michael. Joining me is my fellow co-host, Jamson. We are glad to have you all tuned in. Disclaimer. Orange Pill Uncensored is for educational and entertainment purposes only. The information on this podcast is solely the opinion of the hosts. It doesn't provide any financial, investment, tax or legal advice. Investments in Bitcoin causes considerable risk of loss. Listeners should exercise caution and do proper research before making any investment, tax or legal decisions. So this is our second episode today. Which topics are we going to cover today, Jameson? In this second episode, we will be covering more about the origins of Bitcoin. Where does Bitcoin come from? Who is Satoshi? Why does it only come out in 2008? Why anonymous? And why do we need a free, a free, decentralized, uncensorable digital asset, digital currency called Bitcoin. Joining me is my fellow co-host, uh, Michael. Yeah, Jameson, thanks for this nice introduction about today's episode. I'm very excited to discuss all of these topics with you. So I would start... I would uh, suggest to start right in with our first question for today. Where does Bitcoin come from? Where is it, Jameson? Do you have any idea about it? Definitely. Where does Bitcoin come from? Hmm. I mean, based on based on my personal experience, not sure about the fellow listeners out there, who may be hearing this for the first time. But based on my experience, I would say that Bitcoin comes from uh, it comes from an anonymous group of uh, developers, cypherpunks or uh, techie people, I would say, like me, who actually create the create the open source code, create this open source blockchain. So I believe that's my answer, to keep it short and simple. <laughs> yeah, actually, nobody really can answer this question. Um, well, we can know for sure that Bitcoin comes from the internet and will always stay in the internet. And we, we have to look a little bit back in history. Um, so internet became big in the 1990s, but it existed earlier, I think since the 70s already, actually first introduced for military communication. And, but since it became big in the 90s and people became aware that it's going to be a global thing and something that will change society in a drastic way, um, we realized that the old money system that we had which is mostly cash or also credit cards was not native to the internet 
but because payments and trade and markets more and more were coming online um, we wanted to use our old money in the internet also but there is no way that i can send you five euros over the internet just like i could you give give you five euro in cash let's say you want to send an ice cream to me so there was the need for somebody else to be in the middle to process the transaction so with the internet also payment providers came like nowadays we have the big ones like paypal google pay apple pay and all of those and it was needed to give trust in third party and also of course the risk of revealing your identity and sensitive information which also could be stolen so since the 90s or even a bit before since the 1980s there is a, a group of people called the cypher punks um, which are very good with technology and understand code understand cryptocurrency and they could see very early that with the rise of this new technology which we call the internet there will also be the need of a native digital currency which only lives in the internet and which doesn't need any third party to rely on so i think that these were the footsteps people were aware that this is needed but nobody at the beginning had the answer to how this actually could possibly happen right so based on what you said it's actually a combination of all of these innovations which is the internet online payment methods or shall i say alternative payment methods as well as well as cryptography and maybe some other innovations that you have discussed that lays the essentials that lays the foundations uh, exactly um, if we look at bitcoin um it is made out of many ideas that already existed before um so it's true bitcoin came in 2008 from somebody who's called satoshi we will discuss this in a second and this person or group of people invented bitcoin but the fundamentals of these ideas they were already there and there were actually a lot of um projects before bitcoin that tried to be also something similar like a free decentralized online currency but all of them failed for different reasons so there was something like e-cash or e-gold before there. there's actually quite a list of um projects before bitcoin that failed and yeah it's it's, it's quite many yep i also heard of uh i also heard of e-cash bitgold bitmoney i think some weird names that that were came out oh wait eek i don't know not sure about eCash or bitcash or whatever but yeah those names they came out i think during the late 90s early 2000s but either the the founders you know disappeared got arrested for some you know dubious charges by the you know, by the authorities or uh, 
yeah, the project just failed because of the lack of because of lack of awareness and the lack of the um, the lack of um, the network effect. Yeah, exactly. And all of that failed, and it seemed like people already gave up the hope of this free digital currency. Like even cypherpunks who believed in it, many of them stopped believing until it was about the year. 2008 in the cryptography mailing list there was a pseudonymous person a group of person uh, named satoshi nakamoto and he or they introduced the idea of a free decentralized peer-to-peer payment system called bitcoin and it was introduced in the year 2008 as an alternative to the current financial system. Why do you think was it exactly in this year, 2008, and not earlier and not later? The reason why it's released in 2008, not later, well, I mean, that's debatable, but still um, depends on how when you count the, uh, the, the start year of Bitcoin. Some say it's 2009, some say it's 2008, but uh, I digress. <laughs> Let's assume that Bitcoin as an idea in the form of a white paper started in 2008. I could safely answer that it's because something actually, something very um, monumental happened in that year. It's called the global financial crisis. And yeah, it's very big. It, it it was so so massive it affected the entire world's economy property prices collapsed and on on a more personal end my uncles two of two of my uncles were forced to downsize their homes during that crisis so yeah that's why i say uh that's why I would say it's the global financial crisis because it affects everyone, including me, personally. Thankfully, you know, Bitcoin came off the ashes of 2008. Yeah, 2008, the financial crisis, which hits most of the world, and which is also, of course, related to our current financial system, um, our fiat system, in which we give institutions the power that something like this can happen. And yeah, this power also was abused before in history and most likely will be abused again. And I think it was a very um, important chosen time that it happened exactly in 2008. Um, Maybe there was also a bit like randomness involved that Satoshi had this idea since longer and he would finish it anyway in 2008 and the crisis just happened but it could also be that it was just right now the given time to release and introduce something uh, like Bitcoin to the world which would bring us to the next question because we mentioned Satoshi already a few times but now the question, who is Satoshi actually? What what do we know about him? I would safely say 
my educated guess would be that Satoshi is unknown until today because we never know who is um, the person or the group that's responsible for you know, creating Bitcoin or inaugurating the Bitcoin network you know, or even writing the we, we don't even know who's the 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 author of like we can't even dox the author or find out who the the real identity of the author of the bitcoin white paper is so that's why i say he is anonymous it could be a person it could be a group nobody knows so what what do we know about Satoshi? What what is there? Because we know obviously this person or whatever existed. So what can we say for sure? What we could say for certain is that at least he is one of the main contributors who is active during the early years of Bitcoin because of the correspondence, in other words, communication within the Bitcoin talk forums or the Bitcoin forums during those early days, he left behind several messages and he also actually left behind a very powerful message. <laughs> and that message is Chancellor on brink of second bailout. If the date is not wrong, I believe it's January 3rd, 2009. Yeah, I think so. So what, what does it mean? What, what does this quote mean with the Chancellor? Chancellor, in case if, in case any of you do not understand the, this term Chancellor, you probably might think, you know, the Iron Chancellor, like Bismarck, you know, Otto von Bismarck. No, it's not, it's not that type of a Chancellor. Um, it's actually a very, very rather specific term used by the British that title the the title's full name the title's full and accurate name is actually called the chancellor of the exchequer which is basically the british equivalent or the uk equivalent of the fed reserve chairman in the us or like a finance minister or like something similar to Treasury Secretary, but UK version. Yeah. Which could probably be, be a little bit of a, a sign that Satoshi was from the UK, or why would he choose that? It's possible, because he probably chose the newspaper article or headline as the world's first ordinal. There are other signs and there are other... Yeah, other hints, I would say, that will give Satoshi's uh, location away, like where he's from. Some say that um, based on what he has written, perhaps in the white paper itself, and as well as some of the correspondence that you know he constantly wrote messages to you know with the different developers and the the early bitcoiners in the forums then like the type of english that he used some say is a british style english because of you know the usage of certain words 
like color spelled with a U, for instance. How I'm familiar is how I'm familiar with that is because I'm also brought up uh, with British English as well when I was young, growing up. Because uh, believe it or not, Singapore was once a British colony, and that's why we we use uh, we use the British standard when when it comes to the English education. Hmm, interesting. Maybe it's you. Maybe maybe you were Satoshi. Oh, oh, I don't want to shoulder such huge atlas-like responsibility of uh, the <laughs> creation of something so monumental. But who knows? It might be me. But then again, I know it's not me because back in 2008, I was really young. I was just 15 years old. I was a young punk and I was just pissed that, you know, the crisis has to come. And it personally affected my family. So it's definitely not me, unfortunately. As much as I think that Satoshi is me. Yeah, but then again, it um, leads to other clues as to where Satoshi might have been located before he last disappeared. Number one is the correspondence. Number two is the... Um, is the world's first um, Bitcoin inscription slash ordinal, which is from a UK newspaper, The Times. The third clue is actually the... It's actually the time zone. That very specific time zone in which that he, you know, writes messages, like forum messages, um, correspondence, emails and whatnot. The timestamp is... The timestamp that's captured on the particular time in which he sent the message is in such a way that it will be too early, I believe, for the American side, the North American, South American side. Or it will be actually too late on the Asia Pacific side. So that narrows it down to somewhere in between which is somewhat closer towards the GMT Greenwich Mean Time Standard. So it could possibly be from these hints. Of course, nobody knows for sure, but it could possibly that Satoshi was from either the UK or somewhere in Europe. At least that's from where he operated. Yeah, so clues like this, these three clues, I could actually go on with even more clues. I could go on and on and on until the cows come home. But the main thing that I wanted to address or we would like to address is that though we may not know who the actual identity of Satoshi is, at least we could sort of uh, make educated guesses of where he could possibly be. Like just before his last location or just before he disappeared from the face of this earth. I, I wonder, I mean, it's such a secret, this person, Satoshi. We know so little. We know he existed and there's emails, we know from him, there's posts, but why so anonymous and why and also he decided to leave for everybody who doesn't know yet. So Satoshi, after introducing Bitcoin, 
at the beginning for about two years. He was very active, writing with people, improving the code, explaining people how it works. And after he realized the network will live without him, there's now enough people working on it and doing that. He just disappeared. It was more or less two years after introduced. So why does he keep such a secret? Why would he stay anonymous, not reveal his identity and then just disappear? What's the sense of all of that? You have actually revealed a part of the answer yourself earlier by saying that, by saying that Satoshi had this vision or had this belief that because of the way Bitcoin is the Bitcoin network is being structured in such a way that is decentralized, peer-to-peer, permissionless, and anonymous, that even without him, the founder of the of this very precious network, even if, if he's gone, he like let's say touch wood, he passed away or something, the network will still live on. And 14 years from that very date of inception of that white paper, the network still lives. We are still using this, uh, we are still using this uh, network to trans, not need to just to transact value, to transact money from across the world. But more than ever right it's not we're just still using it we're using it more than ever before so i think it's because of the reasons of his belief his vision of eventually developing bitcoin to such a you know such a potent such a uh, potentially great decentralized permissionless peer-to-peer network that not even Governments, not even cyber threats, not even anybody, unless given a certain set of circum of very rare circumstances, which I would admit it might happen, but the possibility of it is so low, and the chances of it happening is so improbable, so minuscule that basically Satoshi felt you know, two years after its inception that the Bitcoin network is secure enough, it's decentralized enough, it's used widely enough. At that time, slowly has been starting to gain, you know, starting to gain followers, starting to uh, be used by more and more people outside of the cypherpunk, outside of the IT sphere that he actually felt that it was safe enough to to just totally release his hands of the project. Yeah, it makes sense. So he wanted to create a leaderless system, so something, a network that would run even without him. So he truly created a system where you cannot find any responsible person and i think in in a world where in our world he would have a lot of enemies i guess so if satoshi would be known uh, of course 
some companies, some governments would really not like him and he would be like a threat and he could be possible tortured or convinced or brainwashed or whatever and like this affects the network negatively if people who would use Bitcoin would also see Satoshi as the leader and then somebody would brainwash him and make himself believe Bitcoin is a bad thing. You know, it could be, it could destroy the network because the trust would be lost. So as he wanted to create a system without the need of any trust in anybody, also he needed a system where you don't have to trust in the inventor. And that's why he stays unknown and anonymous. Yes, and it's for a very good reason. That's why that's why thankfully because of its of this anonymity, predatory companies, well except until recently by BlackRock <laughs> and its application for a spot ETF in recent times, um authoritarian governments, cyber criminals, including hackers, all of these things can't even bring down the Bitcoin network to this day. 14 years and running, it has like almost zero downtime. Mm. At the very beginning, it had some downtime, wasn't it? I think when it was very, yeah. Yes, there was. Do you know why actually? Why why was it down? Was there like a bug in the, in the software? Or some what was say it? there was actually a bug in the software in which the developers only found out about it either through a bug bounty or, you know, through the goodwill of other users or other developers that actually found out about that exploit. As we know, since it's uh, had like some issues in its very early ages, since then it never stopped working. So overall, Bitcoin has an uptime of more than 99 point something percent. Let's just, uh, for the simplicity of the viewers and the listeners out there, let's just round it up to 99%, shall we? Right, interesting. So, but it brings me also back to the question, um, why, like, wh why do we need this actually? I mean, we, we had now a bunch of topics today, like where Bitcoin came from, who Satoshi is or what we know about Satoshi, why he decided to stay anonymous, why he made it in 2008 specifically, but also the overall question, why did he put all this effort to create this decentralized currency? What's the need of that? I'm actually asking the listeners out there to let's recap on what has been going on in recent years. No need to be as far, no need to recap as far back as 2008. It could be as recent as five years, 10 years, reflect on what has happened during the past 10 years. Has your life improved? How many of these global events, earth-shaking events, technological innovations and disruptions, how many of these uh, movements started by people how many of them actually you know made an impact on the world in such a way that it is good it is long lasting 
and we all remember that you know those were the good days and you know and yeah we should actually move on from there the edward snowden and uh, julian assange leaks of what the governments around the world are conspiring even collaborating with other powerful companies individuals some say secret organizations as well to to subvert to sabotage to bring in or rein in the chaos as part of this very sick sadistic plan to overturn the current establishment to overturn this current um, this current sane structure of the world we live in this very logical structured orderly world that we live in in order to usher in what they call a new world order and unfortunately based on my experience based on what i've actually yeah based on what i've experienced based on what i read you may dismiss both of us the co-hosts of this podcast as conspiracy theories lunatics fruitcakes Alex Jones wannabes. <laughs> but it's all happening within our eyes. Biblical, you know, the biblical descriptions of wars, endless wars, earthquakes and natural disasters, plagues. Well, it's not necessarily a, a, a plague that happened three years ago, which effects are still being lingered on to this day. Well, it's not exactly a plague, but it's it's a pandemic. Ancient people don't have a don't have a specific term for like a specific medical term for for pandemic. So that's why they 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 use it as plague. It all refers back to one thing: the end of times, or shall I say, the end of this um, this rather sane structured orderly world they were living in is coming close is coming fast and it's because of all these events stretching 10 years 15 years back which is the reason why i believe that we all need this pro-freedom uncensorable decentralized peer-to-peer cryptographically secured Mm -hmm. okay very interesting explanation uh so in a world of chaos there is still a way to find a way to keep your own um power in a way let's say you you have the the choice to be self-sovereign even if everything around you gets crazy. I totally agree. Yeah, well, that's what Bitcoin is, right? It's like, uh, also, as we mentioned before, with the internet and the need of third-party providers to 
make any sort of transactions is of course uh, for first it doesn't seem so bad especially if you live in western countries and you send somebody money with paypal and it gets easy um yeah but you you might realize that you are not as free as you think you are if you either send very big amounts or you send it abroad especially in non-western countries if you try to send money to lebanon or is some small countries in africa wherever um you yeah you will realize that institutions or the middleman might take control or block your transactions and yeah you are not really free to move your energy around as money is just a form of energy and with bitcoin we can do that we have finally the power it's really power that the individual me as an individual i have the power to use my energy anywhere anywhere where i want and i don't have to ask for permission and this gives me as an individual sovereignty and that's why we need bitcoin especially in a world where things recently move more towards centralization and control the question is of course is in the end it's an individual question to everybody do we want this if somebody is happy to trust someone to be controlled i would say okay go for it but if you value your own freedom and your own choice yeah then bitcoin might be the right option for you yes bitcoin bitcoin is this very essential life raft to many already living out there in this world especially in countries like what michael has mentioned earlier either they are either they are infamous for its tyranny autocracy corruption yeah and the people have no choice they didn't you know they didn't have the choice they didn't have the some of them didn't even have the vote to deserve the governments that they all have right now but yet they have no choice but to endure such hardships two of my friends come from such countries one of them one of them i believe you probably would have known in the first episode her name is her name is marina and yes she came from ukraine where unfortunately despite what the western propaganda the media would like to tell you that yeah they are still at the war and it's it's a pity that it's really a shame it's it's really sad tragic to see that that country in eastern europe bordering russia is being attacked by its giant neighbor but the reality is that i believe a lot of people forgot is that ukraine is equally as corrupt as russia if not even worse even before the war started no ordinary ukrainian is actually uh living well especially right now with, with the war and it's thankfully because of bitcoin because of this innovation that allow you know innocent 
freedom-loving Ukrainians. Ukrainians with so much talent, so much potential, like Marina and many others, to be able to flee from that from that really, really tragic um, events that's happening in their country across. Because if given any other assets, be it physical assets or whatnot, like gold, property, try doing that, liquidating your assets or bringing them across borders within such a short notice of time without trigger without triggering the uh, the border border control uh, the national customs and whatnot of the other countries especially here in Europe and I say that all of the mentioned uh, physical assets like for example gold and property they are not up to the job only Bitcoin can be that break in case of emergency use mm life rough of an asset that's ready made to save lives very nice i would say very very great ending words bitcoin saves life <laughs> and yeah yeah cool yeah i would say we've, we've covered all the questions for today so far so thanks everybody for listening that was our second episode and thanks Jameson for co-hosting me today yes of course hmm. and yeah we will upload one episode every second friday so that you know every two weeks there will be another one coming definitely all right so thanks everybody for today thank you Jameson and then see you hopefully in two weeks again yep Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everyone, for giving us the opportunity and the time. So thank you, everyone. Stay safe and get orange peeled.